Yes, sir. We are back with another episode of the Court in the Field podcast. It's been a long time coming, but I think we're ready to, to talk shop and give you guys some more content. Joining here today with my right-hand man, my co-host, Sean Flannery. What's popping, Sean? What's up, CJ? A uh, little bit of a break for us from doing these, these podcasts, but it's good to be back. I know with the Brown season wrapping up, the Cavs kind of near the halfway point. Um, and the championship, the National Football College Championship going on right now, tonight. Um, a lot of sports to talk about, a lot of catching up we have to do. Um, in Cleveland sports specific, there's a lot going on. But before we do that, we have to kind of do a little life recap. Um, and you go start us off. I know you're kind of on TV and you're being big time. So let me hear what you got going on. I don't know about big time. I'm just a guy. <laughs> no, but uh, – since, uh, since our last episode, I've accepted a position uh, as a sports reporter and anchor in Rochester, New York at a, a local station. Um, it's the first step on a journey that I hope um, will take me far. Uh, it's fun for, for all those at home, basically, uh, get to talk about uh, high school sports uh, and get to cover those uh, people, um, get to talk about them, shoot the games. Yes, I'm the guy with the camera on the sidelines uh, and go back and edit it at the station and talk about it at night. I'm also in the market where you get to talk about the bills a little bit. So that's kind of cool. You know, I love my football. So being able to talk about, um, talk shop about the bills is cool. Sabres too, get to, you know, expand my horizons a little bit, you know, CJ trying to get hip to the hockey, uh, hockey world. David Dowd, I saw the comment on Twitter. That shit was hilarious. Love that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been fun. I like my, uh, my work environment. I like my coworkers. They, they working with me. They know that I may not be uh I have the most knowledge and, and all that other stuff, but I mean, I care, I'm passionate and, and, I, and I feel like I got a decent work ethic. So, I mean, I think I'll be all right. And in y'all case, I mean, year two of being a GA, but Xavier looking, <laughs> I, I caught him on the TV. Y'all did lose the Nova that night, but I caught y'all on the TV. Y'all had one loss going into the game. I mean, what's I mean, up with the Musketeers this year? We're playing well right now. Um, kind of coming into the year we had some decent expectations internally I think a lot of people outside never really you know they kind of look at Villanova maybe UConn and think that's the two dogs in the Big East but uh, right now we're I want to say 12 and 2 with losses coming to Iowa State who just dropped to they were as low as eight or nine in, in the rankings and now they're I want to say 15 and then Villanova who's 14 and we play them again lost them at Nova uh, about a week or two ago we were up Sure, we were up nine, nine or ten at half, and kind of just played Villanova basketball in the second half. And um, we play them Wednesday this week, Wednesday, so we get them back at home. Hopefully, I mean, it would be a huge win for us. I know that, you know, people around here talk about how Xavier doesn't really beat Villanova. It's like one of their kryptonites. So, obviously, being Villanova and being their, you know, what they've done in the past, beating them would be huge, but – you know, Xavier's more specifically, that's one of the bigger games. Um, but, yeah, we're kind of rolling right now. Uh, the Big East is a gauntlet, so the games don't get much easier. For me personally, it's been great. You know, I've kind of expanded my role this year from what I do behind the scenes, just more film work, more kind of hand it on uh, within practice and then outside of practice. And, you know, the coaches here have been great for me. You know, the relationships I've built with them are awesome and they're going to last forever and then just the knowledge that you know the coaches have dropped and continue to 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 help me with is you know it's it's going to help me out not only you know this year with Xavier but going forward so 
it's exciting to be a part of. I just hope we keep it rolling and get a deep run in uh, in the March Madness. I think that's so interesting to hear, like you coming from uh, obviously with your with your pops being who he is and having all the the knowledge that he I'm sure he gave to you on a on a day by day basis. Yet you on your own, I guess at this point, and like going through the ringer and seeing that there's a whole nother I guess side that you hadn't really seen before, and you get to see it up close and personal. So it's pretty cool to to hear that. Damn. Yeah, I mean, what I think is is real cool about it is just like you said, I was at a high level, you know, sports athletic school um, with a, a quality coach, and then a good Division three school with a great coach, and then a Division one school with a great coach, and I'm able to learn from all these people. And you know, for me, if that's what I want to do, kind of like what you're experiencing now is you're just trying to get that knowledge and experience experience under your belt. Uh, kind of be all ears when you can be asked questions when you can um, volunteer and you know like the biggest thing I think for people that are like us just kind of getting our foot in the door is you know you want to be that guy that if one of your coaches or bosses or whoever above you needs something or you know wants someone to do something for them hopefully they think of you because you know that means they rely on you you're dependable you're trustworthy and I think that's kind of being my biggest goal this year is just kind of, you know, I want to be that guy that's doing that extra. And I, I mean, you, I think you said you have like a two-year deal and then, you know, things kind of start moving from there. Um, for me, this is my last year doing this. So I got to be able to start, you know, making up for maybe what I lost last year with COVID and stuff, but um, just kind of be that guy that's always there and helpful and learn from there. Yes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes up for us. I mean, we're at the beginning of our journeys and I guess, low of the, the pedestal uh, mm -hmm. pole, I guess. And I gotta start somewhere. But I think we're in two uh, unique situations where we're gonna be well off based off of um, the opportunities that we have. I have a question for you. you know, you're on t you're on live TV, you gotta talk to, to an audience that, you know, I, I don't know how many listeners you get in Rochester, but you, you said off air to me, it's the top 100 in, uh, what's the specific? TV marketing that you know. TV States. marketing, so it's a high market and what are you nervous when I when I go out there I would be I would have no idea what to say are you nervous though so I, I'm not gonna say nervous my first month hell yeah like no doubt about it but one you get a teleprompter so I think that helps out a ton like you're not like going off the cuff all the time you got like a something that you're reading off of and you know obviously not read it verbatim but you do the best that you can with it but um I think in the beginning I was trying to be so robotic and not myself so I got really nervous and trying to be like some ideal um tv guy like trying to be like the other people in the office you know i'm the right. only african-american in my station so i was seeing what they were doing and i'm seeing okay they're talking a specific way and they're talking this that and the third so i will go in very nervous and trying to at least hold to that standard but then my boss like pulled me aside and was like you can't be me like you got to be yourself like be the I, I didn't hire somebody to be me like if i wanted that i would just i would yeah, go yeah. out there and do it so I, I'm i'm a lot more comfortable now like Obviously, you see that I'm calling highlights now, and it's kind of like more how I talk, like, you know, having fun, you know, giving like the stuff that you hear on Ballers Life or IG or Twitter and, like, and just incorporate that into what you're saying uh, on air. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think people are looking for robots when they're looking on, on the TV. They're looking to get informed and entertained. And if I can do um, both of those, I think I think I'm doing all right. Absolutely. Now, you sent he, he uh, we have a text chain with. CJ, myself, and Nick Kinzel, and he sent a, uh, a clip of him, uh, probably a six or seven minute clip of him running down the slate, I think maybe Friday or Saturday. And it was, I mean, the first time I've seen CJ on TV, voice inflection, you know, I'm, 
obviously a master at TV and everything. I know it all, but master, and you did a great job um, coming for me. I know that means a lot, but uh, no, if you ever get a chance to, you know, look CJ up and see the stuff that he's doing, it's great stuff, doing a good job. He's going to, you know, kind of take off here soon. Next John Fanna. <laughs> John is play by play and I couldn't even imagine. That's a whole thing. <laughs> being able to talk off the cuff like that. I mean, I, you, you, for those who haven't listened to it, check out that episode that re released prior to this. It's a unique skill set and a great human being that I'm personally not built for, but he's <laughs> a wonderful human being and a great mm -hmm. guy for sure. But Absolutely. I think it's enough about us. I think it's time to talk about starting with our Cleveland sports teams. We'll, we'll start with the, the Cleveland Browns. They didn't have the year that we expected, obviously, coming into the year. We had Super Bowl expectations, and they fell well short of that um, with an 8-9 record. Um, finishing third in the AFC North and not making the playoffs. Um, a lot of things went left, starting with a uh, quarterback getting hurt early on in the season and wasn't really able to um, play up to his standard, partly due to the injury and just partly due to the fact that he just may not be that guy. And then another, um, obviously, we had a little turmoil earlier, I mean, middle of the season with the Odell, Odell Beckham um, controversy. Had some COVID issues later on in the year. We had issues on the O-line with coming to injuries, Kareem Hunt coming in and out of the lineup. Just wasn't the ideal Brown season. So, I mean, I just toss it over to you, man. Like, just what are your thoughts on the season and where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, so many things kind of come to your head when you think about the Browns. I mean, the first thing you have to say is that it was a disappointing season. You kind of came in with people had realistic Super Bowl aspirations for this team. And you look at the roster from top down. I mean, why, why would you not? You know, we were loaded offensive line, defensive line, uh, linebackers maybe weren't who you really wanted, but JOK stepped up and he is a superstar. You have great DBs, wide receiver core, obviously an issue, but you have probably the best one-two punch in the running backs uh, with in the NFL with Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. And then we get to uh, number six behind center. Um, I think that's kind of where it starts. Uh, you know, you go back and you talked about the Odell situation and Prior to him leaving, I think we had a pretty good, you know, wide receiver core with Odell being the superstar that he obviously still is. You know, you see him out there with the Rams succeeding and, you know, having a, a solid second part to his season. So he's still the same player that, you know, we wanted him to be for the Browns. Um, you know, tight ends are good. And, you know, the run, like I said, running game, offensive line. It's just that quarterback situation that I think it's just a, a curse for the Browns. And, you know, injuries with Baker obviously were a thing this year. Um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the one that says, well, if, if he was really hurt, why did he not sit out? You know, you see teams like the Baltimore Ravens doing it with Lamar, an MVP player that is, you know, people might say he's not the greatest quarterback right now in the NFL, but he is probably the most dynamic quarterback in the NFL. And he does so many things. You're, you want him on the field. It's plain and simple. And you know, many teams sat their quarterbacks when they were hurt. If Baker Mayfield was really hurt and he was, you know, negating things from this team, we have a quarter, a backup quarterback who signed a pretty wealthy contract and he would step in for a week or two. And, you know, why, why was that not happening? And for me, if, if Baker's out there playing, there shouldn't be an excuse as to my shoulder, my ankle, my knee, whatever, you know, whatever came up with, with him every week, it was something. So, you know, we made the playoffs last year. I see people saying this is a down year for the Browns. When I think, when I see that to have a down year, you have to have two, three, four good years. 
the Browns had one good year, and that's getting bounced in the second round of the playoffs to a backup quarterback uh, with the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, Baker Mayfield, also, I mean, Baker Mayfield was not the guy to lead us to the playoffs this year in a situation where an above average quarterback play would have done so. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Just some numbers real quick to kind of illustrate on how bad the quarterback uh, play was for us this year. Um, it was the worst QBR of his career, of his four-year career, and uh, second worst quarterback rating. He threw for the least amount of yards of his career at, at 3,000, um, uh, 17 touchdowns and 13 picks. 17 touchdowns is by far the least of his career. And look, I'm not going to be that guy to not say that injuries don't matter, they do. And if that holds you out of a game, as former athletes, I think we both understand that if you can't go, you can't go. However, as former athletes, if you're out there, you're out there and you're going to be held to the same standard of someone who is healthy. And that's unfortunate, but that's the way that the business works. If you're out there, I expect you to be that guy. And unfortunately, he wasn't. Um, and I, I, as you alluded to earlier, we were in a lot of situations this year where if we had just remotely, I would say even average quarterback play, we we aren't eight and nine. We're probably 10 and seven or at least. Uh, we at least win one more game. I mean, I can think of, of several situations, whether it's the Chargers game, Chiefs game week one, um, two weeks ago against the Steelers, the Ravens game, uh, the Packers game. Packers, yeah. It was just so many situations where, okay, I don't need you to be Aaron Rodgers. I don't need you to be Brady or Mahomes or Herbert last night. It was just an amazing show that he put on, by the way. But I don't need you to be those guys. But just can you be a guy who – stays out of the Browns way at when, when you know you know what I'm trying to say I don't like I don't need you to be above and beyond because I, I believe that with the offensive line and the running back court that we have I don't need you to be Superman but can you at least execute within the confines of the offense when we when we need it and not go rogue or just completely miss throws and I think that was our issue this year is that um, we were such a limited offense when it came to a vertical passing game because we just didn't have those guys this year that we couldn't afford mistakes when it came to fumbles or interceptions or penalties we couldn't afford to have first and 15s or third and 13s or or second and, we couldn't afford that so at the quarterback position I need you to be as efficient as possible because we're already limited and then we just didn't get any reliability out of that room absolutely no I agree and I think you know people kind of put blame on Stefanski at times which you know you have a bad season that's going to happen a coach will get blamed for every loss and the coach will take it. You know, that's just the way they are. But I think you kind of look back at the Steelers game and you, from my perspective, I would say this was a Kevin Stefanski putting Baker Mayfield out there showing the entire country. This is the guy that I'm expected to win with that. That's what the Cleveland Browns wants. That's who we're going to take into the playoffs. And, hopefully contend for a Super Bowl with you. This is the guy. And that game alone by itself showed you, thank God, thank God the Bengals uh, won on Sunday or else Baker probably would have no chance of coming back to the city of Cleveland ever in his life because that performance was horrible. It might've been the worst performance by a quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Not to cut you off because you make a great <laughs> point. That point about Stefanski throwing Baker out there to the Wolves and just saying, go out there and try. I think that there can be no more accurate description on, on what you just said, because Chubb was like a non-factor from like the middle of this first quarter to like the end of the first half. He just wasn't a factor at all. And we clearly don't have a number one or two receiver. 
So why the hell is Stefanski out there, you know, making him go air raid out there? I think it was kind of just like a message to everyone. Just like, hey, like, you expect me to win with this guy? All right, well, then I'm going to show you that this is what I'm working with every single day. Like, okay, cool. And and as a Browns fan, I couldn't even be upset. I was like, I mean, the season was kind of, kind of already lost. So, I mean, I mean. The season was over. The season yeah. was over at that point. I'm, oh, yeah, like, you're right. We couldn't make the playoffs. You're right. So, it was just like, he was just like, fuck it. So, it was just. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm not really a guy who really, really rags on coaches because I feel like players can at times elevate above that. And I don't think this was a situation where a coach held anyone back. We just didn't have the requisite guys to go out there and play. Absolutely. And I, I mean, injuries, sure, maybe it is a part of it, whatever. But like we said before, if you're out there, you're out there and you're, we expect, you know, you to compete. What I think, too, to go along with the Stefanski thing is, the Browns obviously have a tradition of firing their coaches, changing quarterbacks, GMs, whatever it may be. Stefanski doesn't have, you know, an extended guarantee of his contract being like, like he might get fired next year if they have another bad year. So for him, why would you not go out and do that? Why would you not go prove the point that, okay, if, if my job is on the line, going forward like I I work he worked his butt off to get there just like Andrew Barry worked his butt off to get like all the other coaches it's it 32 jobs in the NFL is 32 team or 30 right yeah 32 so there's 32 jobs and these guys have you know the one job for the for the Browns and the goal for the Browns not right now is to to make the playoffs one and contend for a Super Bowl I guess we could still say that and I think Stefanski was basically saying, I'm, I'm not going to do this another year with you at the home because that's, it's going to be, I'm going to be fired. We're both going to be out of here. So I think this off season is going to be really tricky. We could talk more about that. Like, do you think, what do you, well, what do you think will happen? Well, I think there's three must happens for this, for the off season. There's three. First pay 21. Denzel has to be paid. I don't, we're, we're not franchise tagging him. And the NFL today was being such a pass happy league. When you get a premier corner, I know his health is kind of a concern at times, but when you're, but when you have those guys, you don't let them test free agency. You don't even let them get any type of unhappiness. I don't care if he's from a hometown kid, no hometown discount or none of that. You take care of that. So that's first and foremost, Denzel, if you listen to me, listen to this homeboy, Browns need to take care of you. All right. That's first and foremost. <laughs> Secondly, we got to figure out the quarterback situation. And I know it's tough because, the draft isn't really the the best draft in terms of quarterback options. As being a guy who kind of watched college football this year, there's not really many guys who I would have thought they would have been any better this year, just for the simple fact we didn't have guys on the outside, you know. But figure it out. Whether that's bringing a healthy Baker back, but then also doing what the Broncos did with um, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, bringing in a veteran guy who is going to push him. And if he beats Baker out, then so be it. So if that's what you have to do, do that. Or if you do find that guy who you believe is a rookie that could come and take and take Baker's job, and so be it, do that as well. But make sure that you've, you're not doing this out of spite, just saying, oh, get rid of Baker. Do this because you genuinely think that guy is the guy because we're one piece away, literally, maybe two, because the receivers suck that bad too. But don't bring in a guy just to bring in somebody. Like, don't bring in Trubisky because you just want an, another body in the quarterback room. Bring in a guy that you genuinely think can elevate this team, whether that's making a trade for Carr, which I doubt is going to happen now that he just made a playoff. Whether you make a trade for Cousins, even though I don't know if that's the best idea. But regardless of what you do, don't do it for the sake of just bringing somebody else in. Believe wholeheartedly that that's the guy. And then last and last and I think the biggest thing, we need five new receivers. And I don't care how we do it. I don't care if we snatch them off the street. 
Don't care if we go one, two, three, four, five first round picks, all receivers. <laughs> Don't care if we sign. No, I'm kidding. But we need like an, at number thirteen this year. I know that our pass rush was kind of limited at times as well, but it has to be a receiver at thirteen. It has to be whether it's Wilson, Olave, Jameson Williams, Burks, London. There's there's a bunch of guys, and then I wouldn't mind if we did the same thing at 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 forty five. Like I would not mind it. Like we need. In a division with the Steelers and Ravens that play as much press man as they do, you have to get guys who can win one-on-one. Because when you watch the Bengals, when they play against those two teams, they have three guys in Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. Play man if you want to, and I'm going to burn your ass. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. And we don't have one guy that can do that. And, I mean, Schwartz was kind of a project guy, so I get that. I'm not really hammering on that pick. And DPJ is outperforming his – He's a seventh round pick for a reason, guys. Let's not act like he was supposed to be some star guy. Like he's not supposed to be a one or a two guy. He's a, he's really a three or a four. We need two guys who can slot those guys down a position so they're not expected to be number one guys. Because DPJ against anybody's number one corner is not going to be a great idea. So pay Denzel, figure out the quarterback room, and if it means bringing back six with with some competition from the outside, then so be it. And then please, please, we need some weapons on the outside because that shit was so hard to watch. I agree. I agree completely. I, I think Pay Denzel pro- probably bring Clowney back. Um, I think you have some tough decisions with Hooper, maybe Jar. Like, there's a decent chance Jarvis isn't back next year, yep. which only hurts, you know, the wideout room. Obviously, um, I, you need you need to upgrade the wide receiver position. I mean, the, the, I don't even think that needs to be said anymore. They're going to do that, and if they don't fire him <laughs> it don't matter if we got Mahomes. homes our receivers are- no and like you said like schwartz he didn't play much because he was hurt but he's a project guy he's got speed and we weren't we didn't expect him to do much this year dpj is exceeding everyone's expectations he's a seven guys like please like like and i understand that like when people were talking about dpj and, and i know people were talking about dpj is better than obj i know y'all was kidding because i know y'all was <laughs> y'all saying that but like come on like our receiver room is if you look across the league i'm being so serious when i say this i don't know if there's a team that's as bad as ours i, I know the lions the lions at least have a, a amaran say brown right hawkinson um the jaguars at least have marvin jones and i know the jaguar situation is dire too but dj chark is better than any anyone that we have i mean we our situation is dire and i know i don't need to mean to mean to beat a dead horse but Coupled with the fact that our quarterback situation was so irregular and then coupling with the fact that the O-line situation was bad because of – not bad, but it was inconsistent because of COVID and injuries. I'm not going to sh- sh- shit on the O-line. I know what the re- I know what the real was with that. But when you throw in a bad receiving corp as well with that, Lord have mercy. I agree. Absolutely. I, I mean, I and I think those situations set aside, moving on to the quarterback situation, I agree. I don't think you just go get somebody to get someone – However, I do think this is trending in a separation, a breakup, and and I think it's either Stefanski or Baker, and I think they'd be idiots to fire Stefanski at this point. Um, You know, I don't think they bring somebody in to compete with him because I think that just turmoil, that will just lead to internal turmoil. However, I don't, you know, I don't think it's a horrible decision to bring in a, a veteran. Um, the, one of the guys that I like maybe is Garoppolo just because they have Trey Lance behind them and maybe they'd be willing, you know, Russell Wilson, maybe, you know, then, then you get to the, what does it take to give, to get these guys? But I think, you know, the Browns, 
are in a win now mode and they have to be, and no, we haven't seen this and kind of off similar topic, but a little off, but this is the standard now for the Browns. And at this point in the next, probably, you know, if we keep Denzel five plus years, hopefully, but for the next, at least two or three years, it's going to be win now. And you have to make the decision. Is this the quarterback we want? And if it's not, maybe you do give up two first rounds for, for the guy that you believe is. And, uh, and at this point, like I said, I think it's headed to a breakup just because I think the, the quarterback or the, the head coach, it really, it was, it was never Stefanski or Andrew Barry's guy. So, you know, I think that also kind of helps the, the anti-Baker uh, discussion, but there's a lot of questions for the Browns. There's a lot of questions. I think they're solid on defense for the most part, maybe a linebacker. You can never get too many pass rushers, um, wide receiver and court quarterback, two glaring holes. Yeah. And before we move on to the other Cleveland team, um, if we were to bring in one of those veteran guys, um, obviously, if it, if we're in a win, mo- win now mode, so if you got to do what the 49ers did and cough up at some twos and some threes, then so be it. But um, for one, all those guys have no trade clauses, so we have to make sure that we're having enticing enough situations to where they will want to play here. And I don't know if D. Watt, Russ, or Aaron – will want to play throwing to Schwartz, DBJ, no. Higgins. So I think, and when you give up first round picks and give up that capital to get them, you're hampering your ability to get those guys in the draft. So, I mean, it's a, we're in a rough situation, but I mean, as a Browns fan, we've been in far worse situations. So I'll take this every day of the week. Absolutely. And uh, so moving on to the team that has surpassed our expectations, the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, right at the moment, they are 22 and 18, six in the East. Um, I think the number one, their calling card this year has been their um, defensive um, prowess. And I guess from the national media and I guess ours as well, they had, they played three seven footers at a time. That is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've heard in the age of 2022. That is unheard of, but you take it from here, Sean, and um, tell me what you've, I guess, yeah. with the cast so far. I mean, it's a, it's a positive. They're surpassing, like you said, all of our expectations so far. I mean, I think going into the year, I was hoping for another lottery top three pick because I didn't think we'd be good at all. Um, obviously, Ricky Rubio had a lot to do with it. Him getting hurt sucks. Sexton getting hurt sucks. Kind of hampers them going forward. Um, but if you look at the kind of small, the big picture, but small window of the games they played so far with a healthy roster, uh, this team, if they stayed healthy, would probably compete for the Eastern Conference championship. I mean, like they, I don't know how you could say they won. And if you just base it off of what you've seen prior to the injuries, um, Evan Mobley's a stud, him and Jared Allen together are, you know, it's a force and it's something that not, te- not many teams can counter because they actually do a, Mobley does a really good job guarding wings and guards and Jared Allen doesn't do a bad job. And, you know, if you have that and then you couple it with Darius Garland, who might be a all-star this year, hopefully, and, you know, moving forward, he will be, um, you know, the, the thing that sucks, like we've, I kind of alluded to is the, the other injury, the injuries with their, their wings and their guards and lack of wing depth, uh, especially specifically on the offensive end. Um, I think that's going to need to be addressed going forward, but, you know, the Cavs as a whole have been kind of a, a nice delight even to look at when the Browns have sucked this year. So um, the second half of the season is going to be interesting because I do think, you know, 
you hear trades in the NBA and the NFL are different when it comes to trades. And um, the Cavs will probably be active, I would assume, at the deadline and, you know, from now until February. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they get. And, you know, I've heard Karis LeVert, you know, Buddy Heald. I would love Brandon Ingram. I don't think he's going to get away from the Pelicans. But just another wing that can, you know, handle the ball, create, because right now you only have Darius Garland. And, you know, that's not enough to, to get you far in the East, even in the playoffs at this point, at this moment. No, yeah, you, you, you made a great point. And I think, and we talked about this ad nauseum off air with our, our buddy Nick Kenzel and being a medium market, small market, however you want to classify Cleveland, it is extremely hard to get that guy, right? It's extremely hard to, to get that superstar guy. Well, it appears that we've lucked into two of them. Um, and, and however you classify Sexton, he's still one of those guys as well. So for us to get at least two cornerstones for a small market team is unheard. Like it's, it's, it's perfect. And I think you see the, the Grizzlies kind of in the same boat in that the Grizzlies have Bain and they have Brooks and they have Morant. We're kind of built, I don't want to say the same exact way, but in the same manner that both teams have one or two guys that you the, the identity revolves around them. And there's a bunch of ancillary pieces that do their job. We just haven't stayed healthy, and I think that's the biggest difference. And um, it's it's been extremely exciting to watch. Obviously, there's been a couple of disappointments with the injuries, first and foremost, and then maybe Okoro not being up, uh, playing up to the expectations that we thought. Um, he's still young, so hopefully he can uh, take that next step and at least be a guy who can um, be a formidable threat off the bench. Because I don't know how much of a guy he's going to be like ever off the, on the offensive end of the floor, but if he can at least be a guy who's um, I don't know, a 12 point guy off the bench consistently. I think that would be a, a help for a bench that doesn't have much depth because of injuries. But it, it, I, I still want to just want to go back to the fact that we played the fourth toughest schedule thus far with all the injuries that we've had. We're six in the East and we have probably one of the um, one of the most dire situations because of COVID and injuries out of anyone in the league, I guess, outside of the Lakers. Um, shout out to Russ. But um, it, it, it's been exciting to see, man. And I can't wait to see where this takes us because. We talked about it at nauseam before. It's so hard to find one of those guys. And I think we got two of them. Right. And I think, you know, before the Rubio injury, I think Sexton getting hurt sucked. I do think coupled with the Rubio injury, it was, you know, the Cavs aren't going to go far in the playoffs. They don't have, at least with this roster right now, they don't, they don't have the offense to do it and they don't have the playmaking to do it. Um, but I think that kind of sets you up for the future is, you know, this will be a good test, maybe sneak into, they're still doing the play-in tournament, right? As of right now. Correct. Yep. You know, you sneak into the play-in tournament, you, you maybe, or no, I'm sorry, sneak into the playoffs, maybe make the play-in tournament, get that experience. Um, you're probably not getting a great pick at that point, but I, I think you'll be okay with making the playoffs. Uh, next year you have all your guys coming back that you really, you really want maybe Rubio and we'll see what happens with his contract. I'm assuming they'll try to bring him back. Um, but then you got, you, you have your young stars that hopefully will only get better and improve. And, and I think, you know, you start to talk about weird situations with the Browns. We talk about with the Cavs too. Like, do they keep Colin Sexton? Is he a guy that you trade? Do you trade marketing? Do you trade picks? Um, the Cavs are, they're in that window. They're about to approach that window, I should say of, you know, next year, maybe they're a team that people start to say, oh, they could come out of the East might be a little too soon. However, you know, you look at what they've done this year, when healthy, I don't think that, especially the way their defense has been and the, the way they play defensively, 
I don't, I don't think that's too far-fetched. No, not at all. And I think going forward for the Cavs, because I know it's so, so hard to just focus on just like this season because of the injury. So like your expectations are a little capped, but going forward, I'm very ecstatic to see what moves we can make because obviously it was a home run with Garland, home run with Mobley, even though I don't think everyone in the NBA would have taken Mobley at three, but I don't give a shit. Um, it, yeah. And then um, Kevin Love will have an expiring deal. And you, as you know, in the NBA, expiring deals are like gold. Um, Sexton's in a similar situation. Um, Ruby, I think we'll bring back. I, I hope that Rubio didn't outplay out his salary and wants a bigger right. raise or something like that. And he was content in his role as a backup. But man, I mean, depending on what you can get for those two guys, if you deem that Sexton can't fit with this group, I don't, it's kind of hard to say because his sample size with them is so small. But it's evident that we do need a wing score. And I don't know. I, I will say this though we, ha we have seen that the, the too small backcourt hasn't worked in the NBA. It's just kind of hard. I guess the best example of that is Dame and, and CJ. But you've never seen that with two agile seven-footers in the back. And I think that's where I'm less hesitant before, as before where I was a huge staunch believer in that that wouldn't work. Seeing how agile Mobley is and that Mobley is truly a unicorn and that Allen isn't no slew-footed guy himself and that marketing can hold his own at times, I wouldn't be opposed to trying out the small backcourt thing again because, I mean, hell, Sexton, whatever he gives up in height, he's he's much better than Chetty, whatever, than he can offer on a consistent basis on a, on, on a, any given night. So it's like I wouldn't be opposed to, bring, to running that back. I, I think they will because of the fact we had a small sample size, but it was successful. And I think – I don't think, you know – NBA, maybe extreme NBA fans understand, but Cleveland fans and the avid, or not the so avid, but the casual NBA fan does understand. Evan Mobley is, he's a superstar. He is the real deal. And he is, he quite possibly could be the best defender in the NBA. Day one, right now. He might be right now. I mean, he's top five for sure. Uh, he's going to win rookie of the year, but he's going to be a dude that makes, he's a perennial all-star in the making. And Darius Garland, most likely is the same thing. You know, he took a big jump this year. Hopefully he takes an even bigger jump next year. And, but like you said, I completely agree with uh, two small guards. Maybe it doesn't work in the past, but we are so unique in the fact that we have three seven footers that we can play. I wouldn't be surprised if Markkanen is thrown in some deal at some point. You His know, contract's I, not bad. If you've like looked at it, it's like a, it's 12 per, I want to say like, uh, yeah, keep talking, but I don't, his contract's not bad. I, I think, you know, the reason we keep him, obviously, seven foot, and it's, it's unique to have him on the wing, but is he's the only true, besides Chetty, that I can really think of on the Cavs right now, he's the only true shooter that we have, spot-up shooter, stretch the floor, which you need in the NBA regardless of what team you got. But um, I can see him being dealt because he's kind of expendable. But other, the other, I mean, you have the core. You have the four. You have the three guys that you really want, Allen, Mobley, Garland, Kevin Love next year, hopefully still, you know, he's got a great role, great fit right now. Another just guy that spreads the floor, probably the second best rebounder behind Mobley and maybe Allen, but like he's Allen up there. Allen leads the team with 10, yeah. He, but the Kevin Love for his, he's just, he's been really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if they run it back next year with the same team. It's just an exciting time for Cavs fans because we haven't seen this 
and you know our generation specifically we've had lebron and like without lebron we suck like <laughs> and then kyrie came and then lebron came so it was it's always been lebron and you know now we kind of built the more you know normal way that you know low market teams do and we're having some pretty good success which you know the Cavs also have a history of not keeping general managers and i think Kobe Altman has done a great job of you know bringing this young core together and um hopefully it kind of they hit again either in, in a lower pick but i think they kind of keep this this younger core together for the time being i think another reason before we move on to our last and final topic um why I'm so ecstatic for the future is that with a lot of young teams, it's extremely hard. As I think you being at the collegiate level, you know, this firsthand, it's extremely hard to get a bunch of young guys to play defense night to night. Yet we're the second or third best team, depending on what metric you have on the defensive end of the floor. And that that's bolds so well for the future in terms of you can get these 21, 20, 22, 23 year olds to play that great of defense every damn night. That means, A, that you're doing a good job of um, scouting those guys and making sure that those guys want to buy into your future and your team, but also that you got the coaching staffs that can relate to those players, that can communicate his vision to the players. And it's like, we've got the coachable guys, we've got the coach that can execute his vision on the floor, and then you've got a GM who can find the right type of guy to play here. I mean, we get, enough, we get that, and I know the Ingrams of the world are hard to get. Like, he's Brandon Ingram for a reason. But if you can find another wing who can give you 17, 18, 19, whatever it may be, a game. We're going to be a formidable foe because I'm Flan hit it on the nail. If y'all haven't watched Evan Mobley yet, just look at every other big man or even three or four stats at his age. Yeah. We got a we 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 got a we got a, a superstar, not not no all-star. We got one we got one of them ones on our team, mm -hmm. guys. We got one of them ones. Absolutely. And no, it just he like I haven't watched many Cavs games. So I'll try to watch as many as I can here and there. Um, but his like his defense as a, a hopeful coach is just it's so satisfying to watch because the way he moves, um, how disciplined he is defensively, and how smart he is at twenty. I don't even know how old he is, but whatever it is, young is we're in good hands. We're in good hands. Cleveland, we're in good hands, man. man. I know the Browns may not have had the most <laughs> year and the Indians, you know, every other year they disappoint you. Guardians. Guardians. Censor. We got to censor that, I think. <laughs> the Guardians disappoint us from year, year, year in and year out. But I think the Cavs post-Bron years, um, they uh, we were in good hands. Mm -hmm. And our last and final topic, um, it was, it's kind of been dominating the airwaves depending on um, – where you're looking, I guess you can say in terms of the transfer portal and then just kind of, um, and um, I guess you can say tradition in terms of how college athletics used to be and how they're played today. And I think as two former athletes and then one person who I guess is on the opposite side of the coin now as a coach. So he's definitely seen both ends of the spectrum, but just to tell you whether we're talking about there's in for football at the moment, there are 3000 players in the transfer portal. That is by far, um, it's absurd. Like that is just ridiculous of how many players there are in the transfer portal. And for those who didn't know, last year they made the rule where you're allowed a one-time exception to transfer to any school that you want without sitting out, which um, I'm a fan of, but it's opened up some floodgates that I don't think anyone could have imagined um, just because I understand. I'm all for player mobility just because coaches have that same mobility. However, as a player, 
don't let that be the last time that you ever step on the floor because a lot of these kids in situations they won't find another home so um i guess i'll I, that was my spiel on that and i'll toss it to you yeah i mean it's interesting because we this is we're in the the initial phase the very beginning nobody's seen this nobody's this never happened before so i think we have to take everything with a grain of salt regardless you know it's it's new to everybody however i don't think it's not going about correctly i would say or as as you know smooth as we would have thought i think there needs some be some regulation in some aspect i don't know if it could be I'm speaking more about the NIL stuff um, because I think you could just get guys that, you know, you enter the transfer portal. Okay. Well, this company is going to sponsor me. However, they have people that went to X, Y school, whatever it may be. So now I'm more inclined to go there because I could get this amount of money. And then it kind of becomes a bidding war. And I think Nick Saban, he said something about it's becoming more of a bidding war. It's kind of hurting teams. And I think people take that, well, why, like, as, why is a coach saying this? You know, he must be losing out on – Nick Saban's not losing out on anybody. You know, Nick Saban is saying this because it's happening. You know, people are going places because of money, and, and they should. You know, you, you should get – you should be able to make money. No, you should be able to make money. You should be able to – but I think there's needs, there has to come a point, and I'm assuming there will, if the NCAA was smart, where there would be some regulation – there'd be a little bit more monitoring as, and I, I think that's the only way that you could kind of keep this amateur yet at the same time, a business where you can profit off of your own, your own name, image, and likeness. No, a hundred percent. And I think that it's a, it's a tough, and I, I think you hit it on the head in terms of when the initial phase. So like, don't be up in arms about how this will all, because I think honestly, for me, I think this is how it's going to go in terms of NIL and also the portal the lesser extent I know because money drives this world regardless of what industry that you're in mm-hmm. I think for the time being a lot of these boosters and outside companies are going to throw so much bag and so much money to these players but then in two three four years they'll realize that you just can't pay for talent you still got to coach it up and these kids are 16 17 18 years old you don't know how good they are I mean if if recruiting rankings were an exact science then the number one team every single year in recruiting will win it every single year, regardless if that's football or basketball. So I think at some point, boosters are going to be like, all right, let me stop throwing $5 million at an 18-year-old because he might not be shit. Absolutely. No, so. I agree. I, and I, it's it's weird. It's becoming more of a bidding war than and than anything. And I think like we both we both already said is you should be able to make this money. You should. you sh- That should be fine. There just has to be some sort of – uh, restriction probably put on, but going back to <clears throat> kind of like the transfer portal in general. Um, I don't know. What, what, do, what, what is your perspective on that? I have one, but I kind of want to hear what you got to say first. I, I guess I'm pro player in the aspect that I believe that you should go where you should want to go. However, I do want to make it abundantly clear that the reason why you're transferring needs to be genuine and not just for some out of spite or, because I do think when the old heads say that, you know, players today or just people today in general are too quick to just get up and leave and not work for what they want to work for. I mean, I'm not, I'm not from that generation. I don't know, but you hear that criticism a lot. But, and I guess the portal is one of those examples where people are getting up and leaving a lot more often. 
And I know the criticism get thrown at the coaches a lot because they're allowed to leave and this, that, and the third. But coaches do get buyouts. So it's not like they just free and leave and like without pay. So I think that's another aspect that people don't talk about. I just really, when players do that, I just want them to know that, man, a lot of you, and I don't know the exact number, but there's a staggering amount of players. Once they enter that portal, they will never receive another full scholarship again. Or if they do, or they just won't flat out play the sport again. So, I mean, if you're going to be in that portal, man, it's a dangerous life out there. And as someone who is in the college game, you see it every day. Yeah, I think it comes with just having knowledge and understanding that you, the grass isn't greener, isn't always greener on the other side. And that, you know, maybe by entering your name in the portal um, might not be the best decision. It might not turn out to be the best decision. However, I do think there are circumstances, you know, I think, I think the one-time transfer rule, I, I don't want to say I'm completely against it, but I, there should be a valid reason. Like you can't, I think you commit to a school, you commit to a coach, you commit to a program, you make friends, you stay there for a year, you know, it's, it's hard for people to invest all that, you know, 365 days, whatever it may be, all that time, um, into a place and then just say, okay, I'm going to leave because I'm not getting my way. I'm not getting my playing time where I get that. If, you know, if there's something that happened or if, you know, someone was, you were promised something and a coach, you know, I get that. I understand that. And that's, oh, yeah. Some literally you could, there's reasons. And, you know, I think that's fine. However, I think, you know, 3000 people in the transfer portal, 3000 people are really, you know, these 3,000 people are going to have a better opportunity at another place. You, you can't tell me that's the case. Um, but you know, a coach leaving, you have actual reasoning. I, I think that's obviously fine, fair, whatever. Um, I do think, I think some of the aspect is that coaches are professionals. You know, they get paid to do what they do. They have, you know, they're older, they, whatever, they, but they are professionals. The college athlete is still an amateur College, um, but coaches have buyouts as well. Like they don't just up and leave for exactly. Like, like they, they they still have to owe someone money for just up and leaving. Exactly, and I think that kind of gets lost when you just think people just go bouncing, bouncing, bouncing from. Like Brian Kelly, like regardless of how you feel about BK, he still paid ND money to leave. Yeah, no, he exactly like he's gonna he's gonna be fine. Don't, like no one's worried about Brian Kelly, but it's not like he's just you know adding on to his bankroll like whatever, but. I don't I, I think it's kind of out of hand and you I see it like I see a ton of college people basketball football asking like where is you know Mark Emmert or whoever NCAA people like and I don't you know I don't read too much into it I don't really pay that much attention to the regulations and stuff like that and the rules as far as you know transferring on a NIL and stuff like that because that's not my job but um I there has to be something coming up, you know, I would assume, you know, this summer or this fall, whenever the basketball season's done, there has to be something. Oh, hundred percent. And I think it's obviously, you know, my standpoint on college basketball, how I'm like, my love kind of fell sideways because of the one and done rule, which I'm, by the way, I'm all for, for it in terms of uh, being able to do what you should do. However, it's hurt the product, I guess, in terms of basketball, just because players, but but as someone who genuinely likes collegiate sports, I think there needs to be some guardrails or something in place because five years from now, the college game is going to look so different. And I hope it doesn't get to a place where we can't go back. We can't go back. 
And the last thing I'm going to say is I completely agree with that. And in five years from now, too, if this thing continues to go the way it goes, there's a decent chance the NCAA will not be the it won't be anymore. Like some schools will start to branch off to their own thing. New leagues will come in to offer money. You know, nowadays it's all about money and so be it. But you have to you have to figure out a way to make it work while being fair. And at this point, paying athletes. No, facts. And uh, my last comment is Colin Cowherd brought this point up one time I was listening to his episode and it wasn't necessarily about NIL or the transfer portal, but I think it's something that um, the NCAA kind of struggles with in terms of why the other leagues, I guess, NBA, NFL, there's a commissioner and what he does is one singular focus and what he says goes, regardless if you believe it or not believe it, how, how Roger Goodell treats the rules that he gives for the Patriots is the same rules that he gives to the Browns, whatever Adam Silver does for the Cavs and in and, and NCAA because of obviously the money dynamic and every school is not the same revenue. It doesn't have the same revenue, but Mark Emmer or some president or some defining body needs to have guidelines or regulations for this because it's going to be the wild, wild west because as someone who loves ball, SEC treats football so different than the rest of the country. They do. It is what it is. Like they just down South football is religion. That's a fact. <laughs> and then someone who plays in who and you're in the big East Northeast treats basketball like religion. So if there's, if, if they have to cheat to find a way to make something happen, they will. So there needs to be somebody, some government body, something to be like, all right, look, this is the way it's going to be. And this is what it is without being so archaic. Like, the, like the old rules used to be. Because if you're just going to let all these individual conferences and schools just do what the hell they want, I promise you, we're going to be heading for the G League instead of college sports. And that's the way it is. Completely agree. Absolutely. Who you got tonight, by the way? We're Football. recording this three minutes before kickoff. So yeah. this is, yeah, I'm, I don't have much to go off of in terms of, um, we're not cheating in terms of we know the result. <laughs> but I told myself after Bama lost, so Bama beat the hell out of Ohio State last year, I will never bet against St. Nick again. And I did. In the, state, in the SEC championship. So I'm not going to lie to myself twice. We're rolling with St. Nick and Bama tonight, and they'll cover the spread and bring home uh, however many natties Nick Saban got. A lot, a lot. I got Bama as well. Uh, don't watch that much college football, but it's Alabama, not that against Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, roll tie. Roll tie, baby, roll tie. But uh, once again, we appreciate you guys for sticking around and listening to us. We, we truly do appreciate it. If you got any tips or anybody that we should bring on, um, this this season two for us will be very exciting. I think some of the guests that we'll be able to have will be kind of fun for you guys to listen to. But that'll wrap up this episode of Court and Field Podcast.